Hello guys, welcome back to this episode of the Transfer Portal Podcast presented by No Context CFB. I am joined today by my namesake guy over here, Andrew, my college brother, technically, I guess, uh, here in Adam. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing good. How's it going for y'all? I mean, y'all had a, a pretty big weekend. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of still on a high right now. It's uh, I, I literally walked out of that stadium Saturday night, kind of. I felt like I was on drugs. <laughs> I feel that. I was the same way. I was, um, it's not my first field storm, but everyone just feels like a completely different experience. So it was a great time, um, great game, but we'll get into that later. I will say this. I will openly admit one of the dumbest decisions I've ever made in my life, top two or three regret of my life, was getting ready to go to UH, Louisville UH in 2016. And then I was like, nah, I don't need to. And then, yeah, I was kind of sad. But Why would you say that? I just thought we were going to – I just thought – I don't know, man. I, I just we're thought we were – that year. We just beat Oklahoma. We were, we were hot that year, but I don't – I think something important came out. I think I had, like, an emergency that night or something like that. But, like, it's like I could have gone, but, like, I would have missed out on something important. The people would have pissed off at me. I don't know. But long story. I remember – yeah, it, it was whole chaos. But we'll get into – we'll forget about the past. We'll, we'll think about the now in just a second here. Let's go ahead and let's just go right into it. Uh, new top 25 just came in. We're going to try and just speed up this process a little bit. Uh, yeah, UH, yeah, those guys finally made it on there after I had them in my AP top 20, well, my personal top 25 for about three weeks now, probably ever since we beat Tulane. I think that's when I first started ranking them. But uh, get, uh, Andrew, I'll just head it over to you. Uh, just go ahead, just give us both, just both quick reaction. Team too high, team too low, just give us that whole shebang right now. Yeah, I mean, quick reaction. This is the last week we actually have to look at the AP and just not even take it seriously, just laugh at it because now we're going to get the college football playoff on Tuesday, uh, their rankings. So we're going to see how that goes. But, I mean, I could sound like a broken record. I was way too high still. I don't think they should be ranked. They've lost two straight to divisional opponents. They lost to Purdue. Purdue's not a great team. They're also not a bad team. Purdue's also the team that always – makes people look worse than they are. But then they had just an embarrassing loss to Wisconsin. You put up seven points. I understand Wisconsin's got a great defense, but I think this game truly showed everybody that Iowa's defense is pretty reliant on just winning the turnover battle and that when they don't, they can't put points on the board. Uh, But if I had to say another team, so I don't just sound like I'm just hating on Iowa consistently, I'd say Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I mean, Matt Corral, great player, great player, but Outside of Matt Corral, I don't see much with Ole Miss. I I see a team that they've beaten who they should beat. They lost to Auburn. Auburn's not a bad team. They're a good team. I saw Auburn winning. But I don't know. Ole Miss being as high as they are, it's a little confusing to me when there's teams like the team I'm about to talk about being too low, and that's Houston. Houston just had such an impressive win against SMU. We were talking about how SMU's offense was – so good, uh, led by Tanner Mordecai. They got such an amazing wide receiver room. And Houston's now just getting respect for getting that win. And we're only putting them at 20 when there's teams like Iowa, who are still above them, who have lost two straight to two teams that they realistically should 
like Wisconsin, I can understand you losing to Wisconsin, but you should be beating Purdue. You're, you're Iowa. I feel like you're kissing our ass right now because you're li- the way you literally said that right now, it's like you literally had, you, you said that like you just got kidnapped in the middle of the third war. That's literally what you sounded like right then and there. You sounded like you were being held hostage. Who says I'm not? <laughs> I mean, George. I mean, well, for one, you're like 1,300 miles away from here. So I think that's one thing. But uh, I guess I'll just go right into it. I Like I said, I've had, you know what, sure. You know what, maybe I'm still on the high like I was talking about. But there is absolutely nothing you can do to convince me right now that BYU is the best team in the country whose names are the Cougars. There's nothing you can do to convince me. I've seen BYU. I'm unimpressed by them. Virginia has a fantastic. Honestly, Virginia's past defense is soft as butter. I don't give that win over them any credit, even though, yes, it was electric. Yes, it was freaking over 100 points. I do not give a rat's ass, okay? I am convinced that we would easily neutralize that BYU passing attack with ease. And also, I will respect this. with this, The one respectable thing I will give the AP Top 25 right now is they still left SMU ranked. That is honestly very respectable because – SMU, yes, Houston won. Yes, Houston made the bigger plays in the fourth quarter. Yes, Marcus Jones is probably the most complete player in the country as far as I'm concerned. He could do it literally every – I've seen him do, do the most ridiculous plays on every side of the ball, special teams, offense, defense. I could talk about all that. But SMU did not play badly, and I think that's another. I think that's something that enough people need to talk about. It was just a matter of fact that Houston just came out that much tougher – so a fact that I didn't really think about until the middle of that game when I saw it at like halftime or something like that. Going into that game, SMU's offensive line allowed only two sacks the whole season. That night alone, Saturday night against Houston, Houston got three. That is honestly spectacular to think about for both teams. The fact that Houston was able to come out that aggressively on the defensive line and on the defensive front to be that aggressive to get Tanner Mordecai to the ground. And also that it took this long to get this much of a porous performance from the SMU offensive line, which really wasn't even that bad either on the, on the grand scale of things. Rasheed Rice still made plays. Danny Gray, he made an absolute ridiculous catch down to the three-yard line that was literally not even more than 20 yards in front of me. As the ball was in the air, I was literally yelling at Marcus Jones. I was like, Marcus, turn around, turn around, Marcus. And like, well, he never turned around because I don't think he really was listening to me, but that's beside the point. So... Props to the AP on still living SMU ranked. I still think highly of SMU as a team. I still think they have one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, I just think right now UH, it's they got a top five defense in the country. Sack Avenue. I could go on and on. The special teams, Marcus Jones has nine career kickoff return touchdowns right now. It's ridiculous. The special teams are spectacular to watch. Every time that they come out, regardless of it's punt return, kickoff return, there is honestly the hint of excitement that they can do something great and get to the midfield or even further than that. Uh, so, yeah, UH is, yeah, I'm biased. I do not give a rat's ass, all right? Ever since we lost to Tech, we've been one of the most consistent and best teams in the game no matter what statistic you use to slice it. Now, in terms of who do I think is overrated, yes, I did go on BYU a little bit. I got. I want to talk about Penn State. Look, Penn State did not play poorly against Ohio State. That is important to know. But I cannot remember the last time that there was a team that had three straight losses and is still ranked 
I still cannot take Penn State seriously at this point. I still don't know what to make of their offense. I don't know if that defense is consistently healthy. They're just a team right now that I cannot view seriously. I don't know who they are as a team. They just lost to Illinois. You cannot rank a team after you lose to Illinois, and you can't rank a team after they lose the game after they lose to Illinois. Why are they still in the top 25? Votes is one thing, but just being just in the consensus AP, that one just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, for me, uh, I don't have many problems with this top 25. Yeah, do I think Houston should be a little bit higher? Yes. I understand why they come in at 20 because they weren't ranked. So it'd be kind of hard to put them anywhere past that. But that's not really our problem is AP not ranking them any sooner. So I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I do think that Baylor is a little bit too low for me. Um, I understand, again, why Oklahoma State is ahead of them because Oklahoma State beat them. But if you watch that game, uh, Baylor – if they, if they play, you can play 10 times. Baylor could easily win nine out of it, nine out of 10. Oklahoma State just happened to win that one time. So I would swap them, in my personal opinion. Um, everywhere else, I'm pretty fine with, honestly. Uh, Michigan State, I think that between them and Oklahoma, um, it's kind of a toss-up. Oklahoma hasn't really looked very good, but on paper, Oklahoma should win. But as far as that, I'm pretty fine. I agree, Andrew. I'm very happy that SMU stayed ranked because I do think they are a good team. Um, honestly, I didn't think we were going to win that game. I didn't see us returning that kick, but <laughs> I'm glad oh, it happened. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought we were going to win going into it, but when they, we had we had the I, kick. I'll be honest with you. It, it was one of those things where, like, in the game, you were just getting ready for the heartbreak. Like, yes, I was very that's, that's what it was. That That's how I was. When we were up 20 nothing, I believe that's how my, were we up 20 nothing. It was, was 21 it seven, to 3 or something. something tw- like I think it was 20 to 3. Because, uh, yeah, because we had two, because we did have two field goals. But there was a point where we were up by that's, I don't want to say insurmountable because it's college football. Any, any scoreline can happen. But it was at that lead where it was like, mm, I don't fully trust this. This I've seen, I've seen this movie played out quite a few times. I am not celebrating yet as much as I want to. We, 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 we win football games. We don't win first quarters. Okay. That's what, that's what it's about. But uh, we're obviously going to go into that in just a second here. Uh, we got to talk a little bit on, oh, speaking of which, speaking of the team that you ranked too low, you need to explain this to us, all right? I saw your tweet. You essentially tweeted at Texas and said that they make you want to drink bleach. I want you to go ahead and just fire bullets off at this point. At this point, it's like being a dead horse with them. With them. One, I need to – I want I want to – I'm pleading to whoever makes the schedule for the times, please stop having Texas play at – 11 a.m. because they ruined my day. I'm sour for the whole day. And it's just, I, I, don't, I don't even feel like watching college football. It's very demoralizing to watch my team blow three straight double-digit leads and then see everybody else's team winning. You know, all my uh, Oklahoma friends, they, they're tweeting me all game because Oklahoma play always plays later. And I see, you know, Cincinnati, Georgia, 
whoever, Texas A&M, can you imagine how hurtful it is when we blow uh, the Red River rivalry to Oklahoma and then that night, Texas A&M beats Alabama? It's, it's not, it's not, it's, 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 it's the worst. Um, at this point, I don't know, it's not much you can say. I think that Coach Sark has a big game coming up because he has to show why he was brought in here. You can't lose to Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. And, like, the the, the boosters, they're not going to like that. He has a big game against Iowa State, who isn't that good anymore. Shock to everybody. But Ains is a tough place to play. As we saw, they beat Oklahoma State. So if he goes in there and wins, you know, they might be off his back. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but he has to show he has to show us something. But questions are definitely being asked, and it's beyond saying, you know, it's the first year, patience already being lost. Very, so, very much so. It's not his fault, but that's just the way it is. It's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those, you know, you talk about toughest jobs in college football right now, and Nebraska's up there, USC's up there, to an extent, LSU is also up there. You know, Texas, it just feels like if you don't win within the first two years of Texas, it's like, boom, you deserve to be cut off. We saw that. I know a lot of people that were that were in Austin during the Charlie Strong era. They were there were some after two years, they said he's got to stay. He's he, he needs time to build something. There were other people that said that he was not a fit for the culture. It was everything. I saw the same thing with with Tom Herman. Even after Sark lost the game against Oklahoma, he still had a lower winning percentage than Tom Herman did during his entire tenure. You know, it's just it's honestly just a whole it's just a whole mess right now. It's just this thing of, like you said, beating a dead horse. It just seems like we're asking more questions than waiting for the answers. That's just what Texas is right now. You want what you want the answers that are just not there yet. And that's you just gotta you just gotta get more patience with these people. I'm not saying Sark is the guy. I'm not saying Sark is going to be the guy to to get them back to a New Year's Six Bowl, but I'm just saying at least let him try and build something in. He's got a good young squad. He's got Casey. He's got Xavier Worthy still. He's going to have B. John Robinson for another year. Let's just give it till the end of next season, and then I think we can finally put our judgment together on that. Is that a fair enough assessment? Yeah, that's fair, and Texas will do that. Texas is harsh, but – historically um they give you at least three years you get to fire your whole coaching staff um at least once and bring in a whole new staff they did with tom herman charlie strong so he he has time i'm not saying he's on the hot seat with as far as the boosters and the ad and stuff but with the fans we're tired of losing you know and you know in texas football is king texas texas might have one of the best basketball teams in the country and still most people they don't care about the football team. So he has to – it's not fair, but he was brought in here to do a tough job, and it's time to see some results. So speaking of Texas, football being – you know, te- football being king here in the state, uh, some pretty big news happened uh, yesterday. I was, you know, take – I was out doing stuff yesterday, so I didn't really keep up with it too much. I still am not entirely sure of what's going on. But Gary Patterson resigning from TCU. TCU puts out a statement saying that they wanted him to wait until the end of the year to resign. He doesn't. He's there. He's done for. He called it quits. 
personally, this brings up a lot of questions because Zach Evans, the running back, former top running back in the country out of North Shore High School here in Houston, not officially in the transfer portal, but he's deleted all TCU stuff. He's removed all his TCU photos, removed TCU from his bio. Gary Patterson is now leaving TCU, resigning after 20-plus years at the program, building them up from essentially a something – I believe I read that they only had like nine winning seasons before he got there, and now he's more than double that. I Whatever whatever the statistic is, is insane just how much he's turned that program around. He's got them a Rose Bowl. He's got them to, you know, to the top of the Big 12. He's done a fantastic job building the program, building a brand, making TCU a national – household name and TCU like they were top 25 ranked going into the season he resigns it's been a really bad year for TCU when you consider the fact that getting blown out by Texas now seeing how Texas looks I don't know how to truly react to this because I'll be honest with you Gary Patterson is a defensive-minded coach but TCU hasn't been known for defense I mean I've seen games where They've given up more than 70. So clearly the identity for a defensive-minded team is no longer there. And TCU really hasn't been a powerhouse over the last couple of years as you'd like for them to be in. So I'm kind of little – I don't want to say I'm dumbfounded, but like I'm a little bit puzzled as to why he didn't wait till the end of the year. Adam, I'm going to let you take it from here because I truthfully don't know where to go from here. Yeah, I think that – maybe he just lost the locker room. That's what it looks like. Um, I guess I know I heard, I heard about the Zach Evans thing. That was kind of a big deal. I kind of brushed it off because I figured he was bad. You know, they're, they're a bad team. He's a really good player. So maybe he's going to enter the portal. I didn't think it was any deeper than that, but it seems like he lost a locker room. He's a very tough coach, like one of those, you know, drill sergeant coaches and reports in the locker room were saying that that just wasn't sitting right with the players. So it might have just been the time where he just – he knew that. He knew he wasn't going to change the way he coaches. The players weren't going to change the way they want to be coached. And it was obvious it wasn't working, so he just decided to just, you know, end it now. Which, I mean, like you said, it's tough that he went out like that because, you know, 22 years there, you know, the, the whole Rose Bowl thing against – was it Wisconsin that they beat? You know, that was – he and, and he, he's not a bad coach. I think he just needs a, a change of scenery. I think that's it. Nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, it's kind of weird to happen in the middle of the year with four games left. Yeah, I think down, down below, we, we kind of knew something was going to happen with Gary Patterson with TCU. I – I don't know whether it's a retirement move. I don't know if it's a move because something's happening in the program. Frankly, none of us know anything. This, this information is pretty new to us, came out a few hours ago. We don't know why he resigned, stepped down, whatever term you want to use. But as of right now, all we can do is just think about all the good times that TCU has had. Uh, I mean, as Andrew said, he brought them up from pretty much nothing to what they are now. And he made TCU at times looking like, the best team in Texas. I know we were talking about Texas football, but TCU at times they were looking really good. Obviously they had the Rose bowl. You had the, 
the Alamo Bowl in 2016, where they came back from 31 nothing down, a legendary comeback. And, you know, we'll we'll learn more about this in the in the coming days, I assume. But as of right now, we can just remember the the greatness that Gary Patterson was for TCU. And you can tell someone's great when they build you a statue while you're still there. Like I, I think that just signifies everything. They they loved him so much that while he's still there, they wanted something to remember him by, even though they could just watch him on TV every Saturday. All right, so I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of lost my nose here, but uh, both of you guys said something about that you wanted to get onto something right after Gary Patterson. Uh, what was it? I forgot. Dan Mullen. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. The guy who uh, doesn't do in-season recruiting. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, that's truthfully it. I mean, that you know, I saw just this past Thursday, Jimbo Fisher and Steve Sarkeesian were on the same high school here in Houston. And I think they were doing a – Sci fair and I don't know. There's so many size here and here in the Houston area. It's hard to keep up with it. But they they were at a game together. They they both had big games. At, well, A and M was on a bye, but Texas obviously had the big game just up the street of Waco. So you know, for all the criticism we just gave Sark, I mean, at least he's still doing his in, his in season recruiting. Dan Mullen, on the other hand, I think I heard on College Game Day that he's like two and four in his last six games against Power Five teams. Now it's going to be two and five in the last seven. So, so yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. It's this was a Florida team that a lot of people liked one of the year and it's, it's a freaking joke now. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you're right about the two and four against power five. Cause I want to say the last six games have been against sec opponents and their only wins were Tennessee and Vanderbilt. If I'm remembering correctly, but the whole thing with Dan Mullen right now is it's it's just falling apart. And I'm I'm gonna toot my own horn right here. I wrote about it last week. Dan Mullen's seat is getting warmer by the day. He isn't helping his team win a significant amount of games, which you're expected to do at a program like Florida. It's not like a a program like let's say Missouri, obviously, but Missouri, you're not expected to win a national championship. Florida, you at least need to be contending. They're not contending right now. They're not the even close to the best team in their division because Georgia's miles better than everybody. It seems like right now. And I understand losing to Georgia, not that bad, but the way that they lost, just the way that they even played, it was, I don't know. So you have two quarterbacks that, are playable. You've got Emory and you've got AR 15 the entire season. You're playing Emory. He's, you know, he's playing well, but you know, there's a lot of fans and a lot of people saying, well, we know Richardson's the better quarterback. We want to see him because he's going to be the future of our team and completely understandable. So you play Emory majority of the season. He looks okay. So now you decide okay, let's go up against the best defense that we've seen in probably the last 10, 15 years of college football. And now let's put in the guy that we haven't played that much all season and see how he does. Well, no, duh, he's not going to play well. Like you're, you're expecting this guy that we've been hyping up all season to play well, and you're putting him against the best defense by far in the country. We can't expect someone to succeed in that environment. And then that entire situation just irks me. And then Another thing that just confused me so much, you're down 24, nothing, 20 minutes left in the game. You are inside. I want to say Florida's 10. You have a chance to finally get some points on the board. Why on earth are you kicking a field goal? 
kicking a field goal does literally nothing for you. You still need three touchdowns to tie it. I don't know why you're not going for the touchdown. Maybe go for two, probably go for two. Uh, it, it just makes no sense to me from a coaching logic standpoint. Like, I don't care what you say about analytics or blah, blah, blah. The smart decision is to go for the touchdown because you got 20 minutes left. Do you think you can score three touchdowns against Georgia's defense in the first 20 minutes when you couldn't do it in the last 40 minutes? I don't think so. And I know I'm kind of going on a rant. I apologize for that. But the whole thing we started with, with Dan Mullins recruiting, I thought, um, I think it was Kirby Smart that brought up a very good point. If you had to divide coaching into 100%, it would be 50% recruiting, 25% evaluation, 25% actual coaching. Dan Mullen is completely just not paying attention to that other 75%. And that's what's making his seat very hot. I would say he's probably got one of the hottest seats in the country. It's no longer just pressure. He's not winning. He's not beating teams that he should be. Not saying that you should be beating Georgia, but you should be at least playing it close. It's a rivalry game. You're not in Athens. It's a neutral environment. I expect you to keep it close. You're Florida. I understand it's Georgia, but you're Florida at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with everything that uh, Andrew just talked about. At Florida, you're expected to win. Um, you can't be good every three years. Like it's, um, you know, Tennessee or somewhere like that. You, you you have to compete. And as far as the recruiting goes, in, especially in the SEC, like recruiting is everything because those, they, they, it never stops. And I think I was looking at the rankings after I heard the story, I went to see where they were in the rankings. And for 2022, they're like eighth or ninth. They're like in the, it's just in the SEC, there's eight or, eight or nine teams ahead of them as far as recruits go. Now, yes, that can change come around February when signing day happens, but I doubt he'll jump many of those um, teams. So do I think he's good at developing talent? Yes. Um, I think we saw that. We've seen that before. We saw with Kyle Trask and some others, but that's not good enough at Florida. You need to get great talent and then develop that talent to be even better because that's how you win championships being in the top 25 means nothing to the Florida Gator fans so um I, he is on a hot seat if they keep losing everybody's gonna be calling for his job um I think he I don't, I don't know if that's what he wants but it sounds like he's on his way out soon too so we might be talking about another coaching change next week. Who knows? Yeah, and I, I want to add one more thing before Andrew speaks. Uh, their last four games of the season, if they don't win all four of them, he should be gone. He should probably be gone already. But their next four games, if I remember correctly, Samford is one of them. That should be the easiest one of all time. And really the only game that could possibly competitive be competitive, of course, Florida could lose either anything is Florida state at the end of the season. If they don't find a way to beat Florida state at the end of the season, he should be on the next plane, wherever like Florida state hasn't been good this year. Florida should beat them. <laughs> when Florida state is down, you should be able to demolish them. If you can't do that this year, when are you ever going to do it? So I'm, I got the schedule in front of me uh, this Saturday at South Carolina, then versus Samford, not Stanford, Samford, uh, FCS school in Alabama and not the good Alabama uh, at Missouri and then 
then closing out the season against Florida State. I am still a little puzzled by what Florida State is. Florida State did go on a bit of a run. Then they got – I don't want to say it was just the loss that was heartbreaking against Clemson. It was just so freaky. that it, you know, For the gambling people, it was the worst bad beat of all time, if you took Florida State plus 9.5, that had no business to go back in the end zone. The Florida Clemson player had no business picking it up and going in the end zone, but that's a different story. It's time to go into the main event from Saturday night. At this point, teams should just pay me to go to their games at this point, man. we I saw, Adam saw, one of the best games of the year. Top three game of the season, I am convinced at this point. SMU coming down to U of H. I could talk about the game, but that's not really – oh, well, obviously it's important. It's important to know that Marcus Jones is one of the best players in the country, top-level cornerback, one of the – I'm not even going to be biased when I say this – one of the best return guys of this era. It's – if you don't even know that, you're not paying attention. It's just that easy. Clayton Toon, as for all the criticisms that he's gotten over the over the last few years, he's the guy. He was the best quarterback. He put in one of the best performances of the week. Tanner Mordecai, I've read, I've raved about him all season. Still did very good. Threw a very crucial pick about ten minutes left. Tom Marcus Jones, but there were times in that little, in those last couple of minutes where things got a little shaky. I got a little scared. And then it's tie game, 35 seconds left. SMU, for some reason whatsoever, decided to kick you to Marcus Jones. I am playing the whole thing slow-mo in my head right now. He returns it back. Touchdown UH. with I don't even remember how many seconds left. I was in the student section when it happens. Went insane. It was it was a blur. I knew what happened, but it was one of the biggest blurs of my life. In that moment, it was – you knew what was happening, but you didn't know how to feel it. You didn't know how to experience it. It was just one of those highs that you truly didn't know how to handle. And he was right in front of my section with Shasta right there in the corner of the end zone, corner of the back of the end zone. He's going up, he's grabbing everybody. And then a matter of minutes later, we're storming the field. We're running. By the time that we were kicking the ball back to SMU, I was already behind the little concrete block of the student section. And I said, all right, fuck it. Blow the funnel whistle. And UH, they literally put up a message board on the, they put a message on the board on the scoreboard twice to not storm the field. Yeah, sorry, UH. Sorry that I broke your rules. Sorry that the thousands of people that ran onto the field that they broke the rules, but you guess what? You couldn't arrest all of us. That's just how it is. We stormed the field, and honestly, one of the best nights of my life. I am wholeheartedly saying that 100% honesty. I still can't believe I did to this day. Even when I look at the video that I took, I still can't believe it. It's honestly just a surreal moment. Like it's even when I think back on it, I still cannot believe we did that. And I literally told my, my friends that I went with, I literally said, 
I cannot believe that we fucking did that. We fucking did that. It was honestly, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's because it's my team that won it. Maybe it's because my team's fans were the ones that stormed the field. But for me, recency bias, maybe I had more fun at this game than I did at Alabama AM. Being dead serious. That's that's what this night was like for me. And you know, me and Adam, we're gonna we're co-writing something right now to, you know, to you know to try and put it into words, but truthfully, I don't even know how words can describe what happened that night. Yeah, Andrew, I agree. Um, like I said earlier in the podcast, I was I was on the field for Louisville, but this one felt different just based on how we won. You know, to pretty much a walk-off kick return, like that's that's something you just don't see. And I caught it on video. It was great. Everybody was grabbing me as he crossed like the 30-yard line. Everybody's grabbing me so the video's all shaky and stuff. But it was uh, amazing, something I'll never forget. You'll never forget. I know that. Some we'll talk about when we're old and stuff. And, yeah, they did put the sign up. I thought it was funny because I was in the student section for the whole game, and that's all that was being talked about was <laughs> we're going to storm the field. I feel like they put that up there just to cover their ass. So they, they tried. But in reality, the security guards were helping people down the whole time. They even put chairs down so people could. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, I was literally looking at the security guards that were in front of us. Like, they kind of just they he, they just looked at us and they're just like, "Yeah, I'm not doing anything." <laughs> Pretty much, but yeah. And then I'm running onto the field. I have video of me running onto the field with my phone, and it dies. Did it at least finish the video where it was? <laughs> it, I, I, it did it died like midfield i got to like the 15 yard line and it died so i didn't even get on the field so luckily my friend uh was there taking a lot of pictures and stuff but it was a great time we um we got a lot of pictures with a lot of the players and stuff it was funny we would take pictures with one player and then the next picture would be more and even more and even more people would, would jump in and stuff so it was a good time great game um you know but we're not done yet you have, um, I'm not going to say an easy schedule with some tricky games, but we shouldn't lose. Should see Cincinnati and an American um, or SMU. Who knows? They still have to play each other in two weeks. But if we see SMU again, that's fine. Either way, we got to handle business. And uh, let's get that New Year's Six roll. Well, this is kind of what I want to say in terms of, like, you know, my future outlook. We should beat South Florida. We should beat – Memphis, we should beat Temple, and hopefully, you know, I would like to think that Connecticut gets a guaranteed victory. I would like to think that. But if we think that this game was crazy, if we thought this game was crazy, just imagine, just imagine this. Two weeks from this Saturday, SMU goes up to Cincy. I'm not saying SMU is the best team that since they will have played all year because it's really hard to say that SMU is outright better than Notre Dame. But what I'm saying is this. Imagine SMU goes up to Cincy, wins at Cincy. That brings SMU back to our territory for the AAC title game. We thought that the ending of that game was crazy. 
imagine all the haters that we've had over the last couple of years, all the doubt, all the hesitation by people, even such as myself, who really didn't have so much faith in this team at those at the start of the year. Through all that, all the talk is Cincy. People knew about SMU's offense. UH really was essentially seen as like, okay, maybe a thing of the past. But imagine having one of those two teams come back to our city and we and we beat them. It warrants another storming the field story. I'm sorry, but it does. I, I don't care. I got to do it again, man. Look, it was just yeah, fun. Like, if, we, if, we, if we win the AC uh, championship, why not? We already yeah. did it once. Yeah, fuck it. Why not? But, uh, you know, but I think that kind of essentially cover, you know, that covers that story. It's, you know, and it was funny because, like, you and I, we, we met we met up at midfield and it was kind of, like, unexpected, too. Like, that was honestly the, another crazy part. But one of those things was just, you know, I got my, you know, I you know, I guess it's fun to say because I tweeted out, you know, the day of the game. You know, earlier that week, DeAnthony Jones, the, the outside linebacker for UH, he tweets out, you know, big game boomer puts up this terrible tweet saying how, UH was one of the top three worst student sections of that week. Well, Doug, because we had a five-hour rain delay against East U, I mean, it's kind of hard to get people to stay after five-hour rain delay. DeAnthony Jones quotes the tweet and says, UH Cougs and Coug fans and students, are you ready to, be, to, to prove wrong this, this weekend? And I quote the tweet and said, we're storming the field. DeAnthony Jones messages me, DMs me right afterwards and says, fucking right, y'all are storming the field. We're going to shock the world. And then as I'm storming the field, as I'm going all over the place, you know, I got D'Anthony. I, I met up with D'Anthony Jones. He was ho- he was holding up a, a Red Bull sign. I don't even remember what the what the sign was. And you know, he took my hat. He wore. We got a selfie. And it was honestly one of my favorite tweets of all time. You know, me quoting his tweet, him telling us what we were gonna do. We fucking did it. And you know, and and it it was all just. <sighs> It was honestly a magical night. That's that, and honestly, that's, the, the crowd wasn't even that bad. It's, I I thought it might be worse because the Astros in the World Series, they were playing literally right at the time when the game started. So, you know. Well, I will say this: everybody that was sitting on the top sections, they moved down anyways. Yeah. So by the, so by the time that halftime came over, guess what? The entire the entire lower bowl was mm-hmm. was filled up. So guess what? Everything that, that you would have seen on television wasn't even going to be seen anyways, because let's be honest, they never show the, the, the top sections or the the whatever the second section is on, on the opponent's sideline. They never show that. Yeah. So guess what? It, it's even great visually. And in terms of like a fourth quarter atmosphere, like that was it. That was the, the, the way that the fans got up in the fourth quarter, regardless if, you know, what happened, really. We still got it. Like, like the fans still went insane, you know, the COU, the womp womp chants, it was going on. It's almost the entire fourth quarter. It was honestly insane. Like, and obviously we can sit here and talk about it all night, but I think we kind of essentially, it was just insane. But uh, let's go ahead and focus on a top 10 matchup that happened earlier that day. Michigan State beats Michigan. For all the people that were so super confident thinking that this Michigan team was different, that that this was Jim Harbaugh's, you know, makeup year, that this was the best chance that Michigan was going to have at an Ohio State team. Yeah, guys, just know, like, 
it's honestly about the nicest way that I could put it right now. Kenneth Walker, he does, he's going to be in New York. As far as I'm concerned, he is the Heisman favorite right now. He's this is an this is a Michigan State team that not a lot of people thought was even going to make a was even going to make a bowl game. We saw him in the first week against Northwestern. He's already lighting it up, 75 yards on his first carry of the season, and it's only gone up from there. He's the best running back in the country right now, along with Bijan, along with Travion. I think he's right there with all of them. And Michigan State, you know, they were down by 16 and they came back. There's honestly zero reason to not like this Michigan State team. This is probably a Michigan State team that we're probably going to see in, in, in the Rose Bowl, assuming that Ohio State makes the playoff. Yeah, I mean, it, this game was something special because obviously before this week, we all viewed the the Red River as the best game of the season, I'd assume. But this was this was just something special to watch. Big 10 matchup, 11 a.m. You can see everybody's breath just kind of fogging up. It, it's just Big 10 weather, late October matchup between two in-state rivals. They're undefeated for the first time. And I want to say like, what, 40 some years, 60 some years, one of those numbers. And it's just Michigan has an early lead, as you talked about. It was 30 to 14, and they can't keep it. It, it was as simple as that. They had a big lead on an opponent that they want to beat, obviously not as much as Ohio State, but they want to beat Michigan State for Paul Bunyan, and they, they couldn't do it. Even when Cade McNamara, who hasn't been a prolific passer this year, he had, what, close to 400 yards at the end of the game? How, how do you have almost 400 yards from a guy who hasn't been that good this year, and you can't put away Michigan State? I'm, I'm not saying this is – bad on Michigan's part. I'm saying this is good on Michigan State's part. They were able to come back and you talked about it. Kenneth Walker, he's the highest favorite right now. I don't care what your local book says. He, he's the favorite. He's over Corral. He's over Young. He's over Pickett. Kenneth Walker has meant the most to his team uh, over any other player and any other team in the country. And not only did Kenneth Walker play his way into the Heisman favorite right now, I think Mel Tucker coached his way into coach of the year. I, I think what Mel Tucker has done in East Lansing has proved that Michigan state is that they're like not using the BACK word, but they are good. Like you, you, once again, you talked about it. Michigan state wasn't projected to do much this year. I mean, Mel Tucker year two, they beat Michigan last year, but you know, a lot of people were saying, Oh, this Michigan team is different because they barely beat Nebraska. They probably shouldn't have even beaten Nebraska. They beat a Wisconsin team that wasn't getting going yet. Like both of these teams really hadn't played a team that had proven anything like Michigan state and Michigan had played most of the same teams besides uh, Michigan state played Youngstown state and Michigan played Wisconsin. That was really the only difference. And let's be well, fair. Michigan state played Miami too. Michigan state played Miami too, but Miami, but it's Miami. You know, we know that. They, they sucked at the beginning of the season. Uh, and Kenneth Walker had like almost 200 yards in that game too. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same case. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, he doesn't have a legacy win. He hasn't had a legacy win in the last six years. I understand why they extended him last year. They, they showed hope. They saw the program was going in a better direction. They had a 10-win season a few years ago. But at this point, you're getting to the fact that Michigan should be a program that should be succeeding right now. They're, they're getting good classes. It's freaking Michigan. And they haven't beaten Ohio State, which is one thing. They haven't beaten Ohio State in so freaking long. 
but they can't even beat Michigan State on a consistent basis. I want to say they're what they've won four of the last 15 or something, or four of the last 14, something along those lines. And I don't know, Michigan State, I'm not going to use that whole thing where like, oh, Michigan's the the state school, they they should be better. I, I don't believe in that, but you should be beating Michigan State more often than not. You're Michigan. Michigan State's a good program, but at the at the end of the day, if you had to choose, would you go to Michigan or Michigan State? No difference between money, uh, coaching, anything like that. Would you go to Michigan or Michigan State? Nine out of eight people would say Michigan. Yeah, I kind of see it like that too. Um... I think that for for Michigan, it's just how Jim Harbaugh is going to be remembered until I kind of feel bad for him because I picked Michigan to win for one. So you messed up my my picks. I thought this was going to be the one, but I was wrong. Um, maybe in, this season's not over. Um, I hope that they don't. This doesn't, you know, us bring on a spiral downfall. Um, they still had the whole season to play for. So as far as Michigan State goes, I'm happy for him. Uh, one thing I, I do hope is that Mel Tucker stays there. Um, I'm tired of seeing, you know, that a coach have success at a lesser program and he gets poached. He goes to LSU or something, and then he gets a big contract. And then two, three years later, he's getting bought out. And he goes back to on the lesser program like Arizona or something. Stay at Michigan State, build the program back up because they've had success there. You can get recruits there, you know, um, if it's mainly a basketball school, I know, because Tom Izzo, but I think um, Kenneth Walker, he's he's the real deal. I, I would put him ahead of Bijan. I think he's the best in the country. I think he should be number one on the list in New York so far. If they beat, um, you know, Ohio State, what, two weeks? Then I think he'll pretty much solidify it. So he had his Heisman moment, you know, what, five touchdowns? I think he's missing. I didn't get to watch the game. I was watching my Longhorns ruin my – Yeah, it was five. It was like 199 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah, he had over 200 on purpose. That's insane. So he's the real deal. Great story too. A transfer. He's coming over to Michigan State and he has him at eight and zero. It's just you couldn't. You can't. You can't write a book about that. You know. All right. Cool. So just some other things that we just want to go ahead and just bring up. Uh, maybe more of like a quick fire style here. Are we finally sold on Wake Forest? You know, Sam Hartman's a great quarterback. He's lighting up. He Threw for, you know, five touchdowns or 400 yards against, <clears throat> sorry, against Army. Wake Forest goes out, beats Duke. It's Duke, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that Duke's a powerhouse because they're not. They go out there and went 45-7. to seven. Wake is now currently, I just want to double-check the, the poll here, 10th. Is Wake officially for real or are we selling them? I have no freaking clue. Wake, Wake doesn't have a signature win. Like in past years, we've seen teams like, hate to bring this back to my team, 2019 Minnesota, they had a signature win over Penn State. Haven't seen that with Wake this year. They haven't played anybody that has been like, oh, wow, Wake beat this team. Oh, they're really good. 
I mean, Army's a good team. West Point's a tough place to play. I mean, what else do they have? We've seen that they have a great offense. Sam Hartman's a great quarterback. He should be on, I think he is on the short list for a few awards. Jaquari Roberson's a good wide receiver. I, I don't know. Wake's defense isn't that great. I honestly, I don't know if people are going to really take Wake Forest seriously until they win the ACC. And I think that's, I, I genuinely think the ACC championship is sneakily the second most interesting conference championship behind the SEC. I don't think it's for playoff implications because I don't think either of those teams would make the playoff between them or whoever else would make it, whether it's Pitt or someone else. But I really just want to see, like, is Wake for real? Probably. But how real are they and what extent are they real to? Like, they could be really good, but they're not really playoff good well i just you know i do want to go back to what you're saying about like sancho when you're right they don't have one i mean sure i mean you beat florida state but we already know about florida state mess okay i'd like to think that at virginia would be a nice win but truthfully there are just so many weeks where virginia can look like a player in the acc and then the next week they just look like a freaking duke you know army is a tough place to play they did win that but Army is a really weird identity when you think about the fact that last year they had the number one total defense in FBS, and now all of a sudden this year, even though they brought back nine starters, I believe it was, they, they're freaking trashing themselves right now. I mean, they just lost to Wisconsin. Now they just lost. They get obliterated by Wake. Well, not obliterated. Well, defense got obliterated. And I look at the rest of Wake right now. Duke, like I said, I'm not, I'm not here trying to trash that school, but – Duke's not a signature win. If you beat North Carolina next week at Chapel Hill, are we considering that a signature win despite how disappointing it is of a season four UNC? Then you got to play at home to NC State. I don't even know if that's a signature win. Then you got at Clemson and Alpha College. We already know about the situation with those schools. There is a legitimate chance that by the time that they play their bowl game, Wake Forest will not have a win over a formerly ranked team nor a currently ranked team. That is honestly almost insane to think about when you play in a Power 5 conference and you can legitimately say that. You don't have a win over a ranked team nor a currently ranked team. It's just honestly something insane to think about. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I kind of agree with both of y'all. You just – I mean, I just – you don't know because they haven't really played anybody. It's not their fault per se. The ACC is just, it's, it's a down year, you know. Um, Clemson isn't very good. North Carolina isn't very good this year. They um, they play NC State. NC State might be ranked by the time they played them. I'm not sure. So they might have that going for them. Virginia, they've been up and down. Florida State is just a mess. So we, we just don't know, but they're undefeated. You know, you play who's on your schedule. Um, can't can't really blame them. I don't have a problem with them being 10. I don't think they'll get any higher than that unless some other teams fall. So, I mean, we just, we just got to find out, you know. We might find out in the New Year's Six Bowl if they're for real, unfortunately. But it's a yes, the bowl. That's yeah. what it's looking like. <laughs> Now, 
getting on to a team that we briefly mentioned earlier when we were talking about the AAC a little bit, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, okay, we need to start asking some major questions. You struggled in the first half against Tulane. You struggled against at Navy. Navy has been terrible this year. Unfortunately, I cannot judge that too hard myself because UH did struggle with Navy earlier this season. All right, I'll be honest with you on that one. Yes, you beat UCF, but this isn't the same. This isn't the Scott Frost UCF of 2017. The Notre Dame win, yes, is a good win. I still don't know how, because I also feel like we don't know how good Notre Dame is either, and that's honestly shocking to talk about. What do we make of Cincinnati right now? Andrew, I know you got a lot of passionate thoughts on this. I did punish Cincinnati in my personal rankings a little bit. I originally had them at two. This time I put them at four. Just my whole reasoning is like, yes, you you barely lost to Georgia last year, but I just cannot fathom the idea of a playoff team struggling to Navy, struggling to Tulane. You struggle against those teams. <laughs> what am I supposed to believe in when it comes to playing – potentially a Georgia if you get placed at third or, or fourth. If you play Ohio State, if you play Alabama even, that's still an opportunity. If you play Ohio State, you know, an in-state, not even rivalry, but just, you know, matchup right there. I want to believe Cincinnati is a good enough team to make the playoff. I really do. I really hope it would be nice to see group of five representation It'd be cool to see it, but at the same time, I don't want to see it if you're just going to get obliterated by 35 in your only playoff game, making it look worse than when Michigan State played Alabama in the Cotton Bowl that one year. Yeah, I mean, I think I speak for all college football fans. We want Cincinnati to succeed. I mean, it's a team that, you know, obviously we've never seen them succeed to this level where they're number two in the country, but you also have to take into account – Yes, there's that whole thing. You only play who's on your schedule. But when you're a group of five team and people are trying to get you into the playoff, you got to be showing people, hey, if we're good enough to be in the playoff, we should be able to murder Navy. We should be able to just put away Tulane in the first five minutes. And they're not doing that. They only beat Navy by seven in a game where they were down, if I remember correctly, for I want to say the first half, or at least it was tied. And the first quarter to first half of Tulane – they didn't look good. Me personally, I was probably too harsh on them in my personal rankings. I think I had them in the seven range, uh, maybe a little bit lower. But I, I think if you look at some of the top teams in the country, you've got not even the Georgia level because no one's on Georgia's level right now. If you go to the level below that, they don't beat Michigan State. They don't have the resume that Michigan State does because Michigan State has a top 10 win. Uh, I guess Notre Dame was nine at the time. Or are they nine now? I can't remember numbers. Nine, nine then, and I think they are 11th now. No, they're nine now, I think. Okay, they're, then they're, they're nine now, now then they're, they're like nine 11th. Now. So I would value Michigan State over them. You can't value Michigan over them. I think to an extent, they're, they're, they're not close to Wake Forest because Wake Forest doesn't have a ranked win, but they're like close to that tier. Wake Forest doesn't have a ranked win, but Cincinnati only has one ranked win. Now it is Notre Dame. That's a great win. But you look at... They, they were – here's one thing we all forgot. They sucked against Indiana for the first three quarters. They sucked against Indiana. Like, 
they were down 14 nothing in like the first five minutes. Now, if it wasn't for Indiana being incompetent and Michael Penix being one of the worst quarterbacks in the power five, you know, we're talking about a different, we're talking Cincinnati. Or do they even make the, the championship game in the American? So that is something. Did you have something you want to add, Andrew? No, that was just, I, I was just trying to figure out the whole Notre Dame. What were they ranked then? What were they ranked now? That was it. Yeah. And it's, it's not even scores. It's not even games. Look at the team play. They're not dynamic. They have great players on defense, but if you look at their offense, it's like, well, what, well, what do I get? I'm personally not high on Desmond Ritter. I don't think he's that great of a quarterback. He shows athleticism, but the one thing he shows to me is inconsistency. You know, he can beat UCF 56-21. UCF's not an awful team, but they're also not the team that they were a few years ago when they went undefeated. But then the very next week, you struggle against Navy. Navy is a team you should be obliterating. Like for Cincinnati to make the playoff for me, they have to be obliterating these awful teams. They struggled in the first half against Murray state, a, a rivalry that I was unaware of, but they struggled against Murray state in the first half. They struggled against Indiana in the first three quarters. Really? Uh, they had Notre Dame's number really the entire way. You should be able to beat temple. UCF's had a bad year, but that's still a good win. You can't put Navy away. You only win by seven. And you couldn't put away Tulane in the first half. Personally, for me, I can't put them in the playoff right now unless they just absolutely demolish SMU and Houston. And one more note, Houston beating SMU is best case scenario for Cincinnati. Because if you beat SMU twice, I think that looks worse on your resume than beating SMU and Houston. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cincinnati, are they the number two team in the country? Heck no. No one believes it. It's not the level of Iowa because I still think Cincinnati is a good team. I didn't think Iowa was a good team. But I, I can't put them in my playoff. I, I simply can't. I wish I could because I want them to succeed. But with what they're doing right now, I, I just simply can't. Yeah, I feel like y'all are being a little bit too hard on Cincinnati. I'm play, I don't play devil's advocate here. Are they better than Georgia or Alabama? No. Are they better than Michigan State and Ohio State? Of course not. But – I don't think you're going to get Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Ohio State as your top, as your playoff. Like, that's just not going to happen, right? So, Oklahoma, um, Oklahoma has struggled. Oklahoma struggled against Kansas. They struggled against Texas, Nebraska. They, they, they haven't looked good either. Granted, they have a new quarterback now, but they were losing to Kansas in the fourth quarter. So, that's – what, what, who's better? Who would y'all say is better, Tulane or Kansas? I would say Tulane, personally. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's – I mean, like, here's the thing. It's like, am I picking – am I am I picking the girl that I would rate 1 out of 10 or am I picking the girl that I would rate 1.5 out of 10? that's honestly what it is right there i mean i don't you got to go with one but you're not exactly happy about it unless you get a lot of drinks and that's what that's why i think that we're at with those teams that's why i don't think that they're just a complete like just out because oklahoma has not looked good oregon oregon has not looked good oregon um they struggled against ucla california stanford so they have a lot of ugly they they beat Notre Dame, so I don't think you put Notre Dame over them. You're not putting Michigan over them, right? 
or Wake Forest. So as far as the um, the 14 playoff goes, I would have Georgia, Alabama, either Michigan State or Ohio State, whoever wins, and then it's between Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Oregon. And you hope that that take care that that scenario takes care of itself, but I think that they have just as much opportunity as Oklahoma and Oregon to get into that fourth spot. No matter who's there, they're going to get destroyed by Georgia. But I don't, I don't take too much into you know, some of their bad wins because those other two teams I mentioned have just as bad, ugly wins, in my opinion. Okay, so let's go ahead and just straight into it because you kind of, we kind of already mentioned it. Uh, first official playoff ranking coming out day that this is released. We're recording this on a Monday night. Uh, this will be released on a Tuesday morning, so tonight. The first ever college football playoff rankings will be unveiled. I think whenever you talk about your playoff rankings, it's different than how you would rate an AP poll, which is kind of what makes things a little bit interesting. When it comes to playoff rankings, you're ranking who you strongly believe are the best teams in college football right now. That's what you're basing it off of. Both. Where I just feel like with the AP poll, you're basing it off of who is better than who, if that makes sense. You know, you're not really thinking about it's, – it's kind of hard to think about. I, with the AP, you're, you're basing it off of recent schedules. You're, you're basing it off of, you know, what happened this last weekend, whereas I feel like with the rankings, you're, you're looking more long-term with it. So, Adam, I know this was something that you wanted to go into, so I'm going to let you unveil your official top four first and how you would think it would play out. My official top four, coming at one, I would have Georgia. At two, I would have Ohio State because I think they end up winning the Big Ten. At three, I would have Oklahoma because I think that Alabama is going to lose to Georgia, so they'll have two losses, in my opinion. And then at number four, I would want to see Alabama again. But I kind of don't want to see Alabama-Georgia two, two times in a row. But that's where I would be. And Cincinnati would be on the outside looking in. Oklahoma loses one game, then I would put Cincinnati in there. All right, Andrew, I'll give it over to you. All right, so I just want a little bit of clarification. So are we going off of what we see currently, or would this be projective? I was going off I, projections. I was thinking currently. But I think, but I think everybody, I think everybody views it differently. So it don't really matter yeah. too much. So I'll, I'll go off of projection right now, just because that's what I've been more focused on. I think number one, you got to put Georgia. If you don't put Georgia one, what are you doing? Uh, number two, it's a tough one because if Oklahoma does win the rest of the way, which do we think that happens? It's, it's kind of tough. They've got Baylor or Iowa state and Oklahoma state for their last three regular season games. Those are good wins. If, if they win those three, I think you have to put them over Cincinnati. And frankly, I think you would have to put them number two in the country if they went out. Um, just because I don't know. The, the Ohio State losing to Oregon probably is going to knock them down a spot. I don't think it knocks them down too much. So I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I'm going to go three, Ohio State. And then four, I'm probably going to go a little bit off the beaten path. But 
if Oregon wins out, they have the best win in the country. They, they have the win over Ohio State. The only win you can say is maybe better is AM over Alabama, but AM has no shot at the playoff. I think that if Oregon wins out, wins the Pac-12, it's kind of tough to not put them in, even if they haven't played, uh, you know, the amazing teams like the SEC. I, I just can't see a two-loss Bama going in over a one-loss Oregon who has a win over Ohio State. Okay, so this is my current top four. There is some projection going into this, but this is just who I firmly believe are the best team right now. Number one, Georgia. I want to criticize a little bit of what you were saying earlier. If you go to your ESPN.com, your sportsreference.com, and you do your team defense sort, Georgia's number two. Look it up. I want a live reaction right now. Okay, well, and yes, I, I've – I believe what you're saying, but I'm also saying that Georgia's defense is so freaking good. I, I want to see who the second defense is. Um, I'm looking it up right now on ESPN team. It says Georgia. Are you serious? Yes. Defensive. Team okay. What are you talking about? Because there's different stats. There's points, there's yards, there's sacks. Try yards. Okay, yards is Wisconsin, but Wisconsin also plays the the freaking Big Ten West. Okay, but statistically, they're still number one, though. I mean, statistically, I would rather give up six points a game than whatever Wisconsin gives up, which is more than six points a game. It's probably like, well, I don't know. It's hard to judge because... They give up 17. uh, Yeah, but that's kind of like skewed when you consider the fact of like, the fact that most of Notre Dame's points against Wisconsin were special teams or pick sixes. Pick six. Yeah. That, the, well, that that's, that's the one like anomaly that I'll give when it comes to like defense, but that's beside the point. All right. So yeah. I got to get back to my stuff here. So look, number one, yes, right now it is Georgia. That is, they're obliterating everybody. They're covering spreads. They're doing what they're needing to do. Uh, I, the, my one concern with Georgia right now is if you put them against another really good defense that's where i get concerned because i don't know if i could trust a stetson bennett or a half healthy jt daniels against an elite defense that is my main concern with georgia luckily georgia has enough power on defense to the point where they can create more points off of turnovers than they do in terms of allowing it so i'll give i'll give georgia credit on that aspect they're my number one team Number two is Ohio State. This does go into my factor of who I think is the best team right now. Since halftime of the Tulsa game, there has not been a team that has been as dynamic as Ohio State right now. They have obliterated everybody. Yes, they did probably get too close to Penn State this past weekend when they should have killed them. I will give them that, but that's always a tough matchup. C.J. Stroud deserves to be in the Heisman talk right now. He is lining it up. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, this is such a great offensive weaponry. Travion Henderson, he, he's a true freshman. He's getting conversations of, of being a top five running back in the country. This is honestly insane to think about. I think Ohio State, I said this in the beginning of the year, I still think Ohio State has more firepower than any other team in the country, and I'm a firm believer of that. 
I think they can score on anybody. I think they can score on Georgia's defense because this would easily be the best offense that Georgia's defense would play all year. Also, this Ohio State defense has really been picking it up. They've been really aggressive. They've been among the best in the Big Ten. This was an area of concern at the beginning of the season. Since the Ohio State that you saw play against Oregon is nowhere near the Ohio State that you see now, which is, I think, something that not enough people talk about. If you're talking about who's the best team now, Ohio State does to be in the, at worst, top three spots. My number three is Alabama, and I'm going this just strictly off of Alabama's offense. I do think that Alabama's offense against Georgia is going to be the matchup of the season in terms of one unit going up against the other. Bryce Young is still a fantastic quarterback. John Mechie is still a tremendous receiver. They got a good stable of running backs also there at Alabama. I would really like to see what this SEC title matchup is going to look like. Like I said, I don't think there is a situation to where this could happen, whereas both Ohio State, whereas both Alabama and Georgia would make the playoff unless Alabama beats them. If Alabama beats them, they both make it. If Georgia beats Alabama, Alabama's out. That's honestly where it is. My number four team is Oregon. Now, Oregon is basing a little bit more off of progressive. I think Oregon does get a little disrespect because the loss against Stanford should not have happened. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. It was a it was a ghost pass interference call. And Oregon should have won that game. Yes, they probably should have been better against UCLA, but they still won. I just really want to know. I just want to see this Oregon team to pick it up a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive, because I still think Mario Cristobal is a tremendous coach. Kayvon Thibodeau is an absolute legend right now. He's going to be number one player in the draft. This is a really good Oregon defense, a really fast Oregon team. I I think there was a lot of talk that once they did get that loss, the Pac-12 was out of it. I think Oregon is still the best shot. So back to the last one. Let's go ahead and just give a rapid reaction to it. There's a lot of talk in terms of who should be ranked higher, Ohio State or Oregon. Adam, I'm going to go with you. If you, if Oregon, if your decision came down to ranking either Oregon or Ohio State first, who are you picking and why? Um. I'm picking Ohio State just because I think that they're better than Oregon. It's really that simple. Yeah, Oregon beat them, but if I had to put money on it or my life, I'm picking Ohio State. So that's why I had I had Ohio State higher than Oregon. And I think Oregon's um I think Oregon is a good team, but I just think Ohio State's better. So that's why. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with that. I understand we have to value head-to-head matchups, but at the same time, would you rather lose to Oregon or Stanford? Me personally, I'd rather lose to Oregon. Oregon's a good team. We've known they're a good team. They're going to be a good team. That loss is going to age better than losing to Stanford would. And if you also look at the, the Big Ten, Ohio State has a lot of games coming up. They just beat ranked Penn State. They're going to end up playing ranked Michigan and possibly undefeated Michigan State when they play. So right now, they should be ranked higher, and especially if they win their future games, they definitely need to be ranked higher. I'm picking Ohio State because I'm going off of with what I said earlier in terms of 
The Ohio State that you saw against Oregon is nowhere near the Ohio State that we see today. And that plays a huge role in my honest opinion. CJ Stroud has turned it around. He's been a top three quarterback in the country at worst. And it seems like he doesn't get enough credit for it. Oregon is still a really good football team. I don't think they've really digressed since since they won against Ohio State, even with the loss against Stanford. They just have, they just got put in a really bad place, a really bad officiating mistake. But that was this, but that's essentially it. I think those two are still very evenly matched teams. Whenever I think about a rematch of those teams, you're taking up the Oregon then, and you're taking the Ohio State of now, which is a totally different situation. I think it's more evenly matched. I still think Ohio State would pull away in the last minute, but who knows? If we if we firmly believe in these two teams, that they can still go all the way and run the rest of the table. Who's to say that we won't see them in the, in the playoff? It's definitely possible, but the only thing I would say is we can't really look at the organ of past because in that Ohio State game, they had a player that they don't have anymore, and that's C.J. Verdell. He's he was there, he was their guy, and obviously Travis Dye is still able to run the ball, but C.J. Verdell was an electric playmaker, and they no longer have him. I don't think that it hurts their offense too much because they do have depth at running back, especially with Travis Dye. But I, I do think that the Oregon team is definitely a little bit different, a little bit more injured. All right, cool. So I think we've essentially covered everything that we had to talk about. Anything else that you guys want to say to get off your mind real quick? Iowa sucks. Texas, whoops. Texas better win next week. Uh, what I want to say is my prediction that Wisconsin was going to run the rest of the way is not looking too bad right now. And uh, we want Cincy down here at the 713. So exactly. that's all. That's what I'm going to say. All right, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Transfer Portal podcast presented by No Contact CFB. And uh, we got a lot of great content, you guys, for you guys to come out the rest of the week. So stay tuned and y'all have a great week. Bye.